Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are happy to be here this morning, and we thank you that though it is dark outside, wet and rainy, and not very enjoyable, in here, we can focus upon you. We thank you for the building and for the electricity and the lights and the opportunity, Father, to be able to focus. We ask your blessing on us now, Father. We know that your word is the truth, and we are now going to look to it. We ask, Father, that you would teach us, that you'd give us understanding, and you would give us faith, Father, that we would believe. And Father, help us. We confess this morning, God, that we don't have all the answers, and we certainly confess, God, that we are not altogether right. We have our issues. And that you would have mercy upon us. And you would help us. Father, we look to you now and we ask your blessing on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have been going now for several weeks um, on a few topical things. Remember I covered our church's mission statement and our core values. Then it was Palm Sunday. And then it was Easter. And then last week I talked to you with the big whiteboard up here about the three circles and evangelism and sharing the gospel and brokenness and needing God. And so we've been with, out of a book for a few weeks now, but I want to get back into one. And today we're going to start the book of Philemon. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible, the black Bible there in front of you, and it would be page 1098, page 1098. Now, some of you have never even heard of the book of Philemon. You didn't even know it was in the Bible. It's not one of those uh, that is as common or popular or familiar as some of the others, but Philemon is really good. But it's small. It's hard to find. If you're turning through your pages, you've probably passed it a time or two because it's so little. It's one page. It's not even a whole page. It's like a half of a page. It's, it's so small that it doesn't even have chapters. So when we say Philemon 1, we're not meaning Philemon chapter 1. We're meaning Philemon verse 1. You know, normally we have to say 1-1, one, one, right? Like chapter 1, verse 1. But Philemon is not that way. It is so little. It is only 25 verses. It's that small, that short, that there are no chapters. It's just one chapter, or just, just one book with, with 25 verses. But it's really, really good. And the reason why it's good is because it's really just a story of a few people's lives. And everybody likes a story, right? Someone once famously said, everybody loves a good story. And don't we? Man, I've got some good stories to tell. Y'all have heard me tell some of my stories so many times that I forget that I've told them to you all and you kind of roll your eyes when I start on it again. But if it's a good story, you you like to hear it. My sons have heard the the Michael Jordan story so many times. I love to remember the story of that day I was trying to run back in the rain from Dairy Queen carrying my chicken finger basket and I fell There's a lot of good stories out there, and I know you've got them too. Everybody likes a story. The reason why we like stories is they start to give us like a glimpse, a picture, you know, a window into somebody's life. You know, our lives are actually stories. We probably won't end up with a biography, but we could. A biography is the story of your life. That's what's awesome about stories is 
They may be long and lovely or short and sweet or brief and boring or whatever they might be, but it's the story of who we are. You know, everybody in here came from somewhere and came from somebody. You start looking at that too long, then it's going to just start to lead into deeper and deeper story, and it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, my dad is the oldest of four kids. If you're the oldest of four, then that means that you had to be a leader a lot of times in your life, right? My mom is the youngest of four kids, which means that she was always the follower in many ways. Those things helped mold them, and then they got married and started parenting, and then that helped mold me. And that's just 10 seconds of my story, and I could go on and on, right? What about your story? What brought you here today? What are all the contributing factors of what brought you here today? What is it in your life that's kind of making you want to be here today? Or what is it in your life that's causing you to really not want to be here today? Who are the influences in your life that have encouraged you to be here today? And what are the influences in your life that are discouraging you from being here today? And so forth and so forth. Everybody loves a good story. And everybody has one. I hope you like your story. I hope you can appreciate who you are and where you've come from and whether it's good or bad or whether it's uh, uh, been positive or negative, it's still shaping you into who you are. You know, the younger you are, in so many ways, your story's just now unfolding. and That's fascinating to think about as well, isn't it? Well, the book of Philemon is a story. We're going to get into it a little bit further. We're going to read it a lot. And I'm going to try to take a long time to, to focus in on Philemon and what it's about. It's a story about a man named Philemon, and another man named Onesimus, and another na- man named the Apostle Paul, and how he was talking in, into them. And we're going to read it. Everybody loves a good story. Another story that we love that I want to bring up today happened 71 years ago. On this date, April the 15th, on this date, April the 15th of 1947, 71 years ago, the great Jackie Robinson suited up and started for the Brooklyn Dodgers. If you don't know who Jackie Robinson is, number 42 for the Brooklyn Dodgers was the first African-American to ever play professional baseball. It was a huge, huge step for the Brooklyn Dodgers to start him at first base 71 years ago. Set the tone and opened the door and paved the way for African-Americans to be able to do so much more in the world of professional Sports. I like Jackie Robinson, I like baseball, and I like that story. But as you can imagine, there is so much more to that story than just me telling you that. That's a good story, isn't it? See, this is what stories do. A story is like looking into something and seeing so much more and then just going into further understanding and more questions and excitement. Hey, keep going. I remember when we first got this book, The Dangerous Journey, at our house. And it's the Pilgrim's Progress in a children's version. And it is outstanding in so many ways, just as good, maybe even better than the original Pilgrim's Progress. It's got a few pictures in it. And we would lay in the floor in my kid's room, and I would literally just lay down on my stomach, and they would get all around, and we would just read it right there. And, and I was thinking, you know, we'll just, we'll just read one chapter or something like that. 
And it was so good that even with my young children that have uh, a, a struggle to stay attentive, right? And they're getting up and bouncing off the walls and getting distracted and all of that. We would finish chapter one. I'd say, all right, it's, it's time to go to bed. And they'd say, no, read some more. I said, another chapter? They said, yeah, another chapter. So another five or ten minutes, we read another chapter. I said, all right, that's, that's two chapters tonight. Let's, it's time to go to bed. And they say, no, can you read some more? And finally I say, yeah, I would love to keep reading, but we need to go to bed. But that's how stories are, right? If you get into a good story or a good movie or a good conversation or you start looking into somebody, you're like, wow, I had not thought about that. Have you ever heard somebody say, don't judge a book by its cover? Surely you have, right? What that means is you're looking at something and you don't know the story. How unfortunate is it that you would look at a book and judge it based off the cover, but you haven't read the story. And so we might say about people, don't think you know me or understand me or don't judge me if you don't know my story. The book of Philemon is a story, and it's a really, really good one. And I want us to spend some time here. It's the book of Philemon written from Paul. It's a story, it's a true story, and it's about these people's lives that I've already named. Read with me, if you will, at Philemon. I'm going to read the entire book. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my 
fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's a story, isn't it? And you already know quite a bit about the story, and you think, wow, that's got some good parts to it, some good movements to it, some good themes, some, some key uh, stuff there that I want to, to get into. And yet, in so many ways, it's just opening the window for you to understand the story so much better. I want to spend a lot of time in Philemon. I'm not sure how many weeks yet. I may drag this thing out for a long time, all the way till summer. I'm not sure. But there's so many good things here. We're going to be able to talk about friendship from the book of Philemon. We're going to be able to talk about forgiveness from the book of Philemon. We're going to be able to talk about slavery from the book of Philemon. I don't know if you noticed, but there in um, verse 16, that word bondservant is just a, a kinder way to say slave. And we're going to talk about that as we get going. We're going to talk about here freshness, refreshing, as you saw that word in there. Man, that's so needed, isn't it? We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about true church. We're going to talk about authenticity and sincerity. We're going to talk about dealing with sin. We're going to talk about what happens when somebody you know or love or like or trust or sits near you or sits on the other side of the sanctuary or lives down the street from you, when they do something to you that is absolutely hurtful and offensive, like stealing from your bank account or stealing your purse or robbing your kitchen and running away. We're going to talk about that because that's what Onesimus did to Philemon. And we're going to talk about how you're going to handle that I'm going to talk about how Philemon is to handle that and how Paul is wanting him to handle that. Well, I could go on and on with themes here in the book of Philemon. But today, mostly, I want it to be more of an introduction and an overview. Verse 1 says that Paul's writing it. He's writing from prison. We know that there are a handful of prison letters that Paul wrote. He did write some of his letters. You know, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, but some of them he wrote from prison, and this is one of them. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul had not done anything wrong in the sense of offending God, but they had told him that if he continues to be a witness to Jesus, that would be against the law, and he would be put in prison. He continued to be a witness to Jesus, and so they put him in prison. Paul is in Rome in, in prison, and he writes... He says that he's with Timothy, or Timothy is along with him, but he writes this letter to Philemon. So it's very simple in verse 1, from Paul to Philemon. And he calls Philemon a beloved fellow worker. And he names a few other people, Atphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. We don't know a whole lot about Philemon, but we do know that Apparently, the church met in his house. Doesn't necessarily mean he had a big house, but maybe he had a big enough house for people to be able to gather there. Doesn't necessarily mean he was wealthy, but maybe he could have been if he was going to host people and have a, a home big enough. Not necessarily, but probably so. And it's just a little bit into it. It also lets us know, though, that as Paul's writing to Philemon, 
and he's naming other people that there's, it, it, it's about one guy, Philemon. The letter is to him, but there's other people that are involved. There's other people that know and maybe not directly affected and bothered and influenced by what's happening here, but certainly indirectly, right? And isn't that how life is with relationships? Isn't that really how church life is with relationships? It may not be a direct involvement, but it is definitely an indirect involvement. He names all these other people. And then he says what is very common to Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very common intro and welcome from Paul. I want to look at four ideas that, that come up in this story that are also in your story. Again, it's just an overview and introduction, but I want, I want to look at it. Four uh, ideas that God uses to shape this story. Four ideas that God is using to shape your story. Number one, people. Number two, places. Number three, pains. And number three, or number, sorry, did I get those numbers wrong? Number one, people. Number two, places. Number three, pains. And number four, providence. So four Ps, people, places, pains, and providence. I want you to see, and I really want to continue to go against it. I said it last week with the whiteboard up here. If you're trying to start with understanding your story and you're starting with you, it's incomplete. You start with understanding your story when you start with God and you look to God and you realize that God's bigger and wiser and, and better than us. And then our lives and our stories make sense inside of God's story and trying to make sense of our story, albeit a very good story. You may have a lot of good things happening in your life or your story, but without God, it is an incomplete story and you will feel that in many ways. And these factors here, these movements, if you will, are, are definitely key factors in this story, Philemon, as we're about to see, but also in your life. People, places, pains, and providence. So number one, people. Paul is an apostle. You know his story, right? You remember how much he was against Christianity? He was one of those people that didn't believe in Jesus. He, he didn't like Christianity. He didn't like the preaching of the gospel. He didn't like the idea of the cross having been for us. He didn't like the idea of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Paul didn't like that. He didn't like all the, the Christianity, and so he was going against them. But then Paul's life was absolutely changed when he came to know the Lord on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts. That's Paul's story. And now, because his life had been so changed by Jesus, he was unashamed for Jesus. And in being unashamed for Jesus, he wasn't afraid to talk about Jesus when he felt like he should be talking about Jesus. And so now he has ended up in prison. And that's a little bit more of his story. And so now from prison, he writes letters to people. He writes letters to churches. He writes letters to individuals. This is a letter he wrote from prison to Philemon. Philemon. Interesting guy, a leader, says here, a beloved fellow worker, a leader in the church. To be a leader in the church in some ways, on some levels, had to be an upright, integrity, a man of integrity, honest, loving the Lord, having demonstrated that, faithful in the things of God, having demonstrated that, and a friend and a co-worker, if you will, with Paul. Onesimus. 
Onesimus is who comes up down here at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Onesimus wasn't a believer. He was living there in Onesimus' house as a slave. I told you we'll talk about slavery later. He's living there as a house in, 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 in Philemon's house as a slave. And he steals from Philemon and runs away. And as a runaway slave, he ends up in Rome where Paul is. And somehow, which the scriptures don't tell us, he ends up with Paul somehow. Maybe in prison, maybe visiting prison, maybe before Paul's in prison. I don't know. But he runs into Paul. And Paul is a preacher of the good news of Jesus. And in a roundabout way, God saves Onesimus. God saves the stealing, runaway slave Onesimus. And so Paul says in verse 10, I became his father in my imprisonment. He became a believer. He's a child of God, and I am too, and I'm the one who led him to Christ, and I'm the one who's mentoring him now. And that's just some of Onesimus' story. There are other people named here too, like Epaphras and Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and Archippus. And there are other people named here too. And it's these people that are shaping this story. And, and, and obviously we could elaborate more and more and more. But I want to ask you, who, who's shaping your story? Is there anybody in your life that you would say, I wouldn't be where I am in relation to God if it weren't for them. I, I'm doubtful and I'm skeptical and I, I tend to struggle and they continue to be that pointing me to Jesus. And, and listen, I know at times that, that rubs the wrong way. I know that. I get that. That happens in my life, both me to people and other people to me. Sometimes that rubs the wrong way, right? We get tired of some people always wanting to talk to us about God. But can you just ignore that for just a second and say... Wow, this person is the compass in my life to keep looking to God. Can, can you think for a second about somebody in your life that if you were being honest, if they did not continue to point you to Jesus, you may never look there. Beyond that, who are those people in your life that are there for you no matter what? Who are those people in your life that know you at your worst and are still there? Do you have friends? The book of Philemon is taking us there. Do you have people that know the worst about you and still love you? Do you have people that are there for you even when you think they should not be there for you? And then I want to take that a step further and I want to say, are you that kind of person? Are there people in your life that you know should be looking to God and yet you've not pointed them there? Are there people in your life that should be growing in God or involved in a church or should know the Bible that don't? Are there people that should know God's way of life and yet they don't because you haven't pointed them in that direction as you should? 
Are there people in your life that absolutely need you and they count on you and they look to you, but, but you've not been doing that? You've been so discouraged because you don't have that that you're not that? Are there people who are let down because you've been let down and it's now this cycle of, hey, they were never there for me and now I'm never there for them. Or I never had that in my life and now they don't have that in their life. And we could go on and on about how our lives, our stories, if you will, are shaped, shaped by the people in our lives. Philemon's all about that. Even with just three names, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, man, the story is created by them and who they are and their experiences. Places. This will get me kind of worked up because you know I I love Fairdale. Places. One of the things that doesn't really come out in Philemon, and I want to encourage y'all to be Bible readers and, and people who are trying to understand it, but Philemon, y'all, listen to me, who the letter is to, is a member of the church at Colossae. The book of Colossians, you may not know this. Just a little bit of study will show this to you, and this will open up your eyes to a whole world of Bible understanding. Again, I think I say it every week, if all you're doing is looking to read a verse a day to be your inspiration, then you're missing truly the meat of what God is saying. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. It's just a few books back. If you go backwards, you'll hit Titus, then 2 Timothy, then 1 Timothy, then 2 Thessalonians, then 1 Thessalonians, and then Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's writing a letter to Philemon. He's also writing a letter to the Colossians. And so who's going to deliver that letter? Paul's behind bars. Paul's in chains. And he's writing out this letter. Well, how's he going to get it there? Well, he's got a younger brother named Tychicus who's going to deliver it for him. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Now remember, this isn't to Philemon. This is to the church where Philemon belongs. So Philemon is getting this now through this letter to the Colossians. But when Tychicus comes, he's carrying the letter to Philemon and he's carrying the letter to the Colossians. That's fascinating, isn't it? Look at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus. You see that? It just takes a little bit of study to see that Philemon is about Onesimus and Colossians 4 mentions Onesimus and you're like, wow, the light bulb turns on. This is connected. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Now catch this. Paul is telling the church that Onesimus is a faithful and beloved brother, and they know him as a stealing, lying, runaway slave. You're going to see how the power of God shows up. You're going to see how the story is shaped. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. You see that? That's talking about people, but it's also talking about 
places. It's talking about Colossae, the Colossians, where they live. It's talking about prison in Rome where all this other stuff's happening. Paul says, they're going to tell you about everything that's taking place because there's a lot of pieces that are confusing right now. If you look on in Colossians 4, verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark. And then you go down to, say, uh, verse 14, and it mentions Demas. He's there. And you go down to, say, verse um, 17, and it says Archippus. These are all people that are named in the book of Philemon. Because they're all a part of the church at Colossae, or they're all there with Paul in Rome in prison. And next thing you know, you've got the people that have such meaning in the story, but so do the places. I was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the suburbs, suburbs right outside of it, in Matthews, North Carolina. And I had never been really anywhere in the world other than to maybe Florida once or the coast of North Carolina a few times. My mom is from West Virginia. My dad is from Charlotte. My mom moved to Charlotte at some time in her childhood uh, when she was younger, and she met her, my, my dad, and they've been in Charlotte ever since. That's where I was born and raised. But in the weirdest turn of events, after, after high school, I was shipped off, if you will, to go to college in South Georgia, some nearly 500, 600 miles away from there. And I lived there for three semesters, 18 months. And in South Georgia, which is a lot different than Charlotte, North Carolina, in Tifton, Georgia, my world began to change and understand things and meet people in a different way of life. And, and it was different. But after three semesters there, I, 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 I changed and I moved back to Charlotte for one semester trying to figure out what I was doing. From there, I went to a different college in Greenville, South Carolina. And so at the age of 18, graduating high school, I had never been anywhere. By the time I was 20, I was living in my third state in the third different city, and I was starting to think, wow, people are different in Georgia than they are in North Carolina. People are different in South Carolina than they are in North Carolina Things are different, and my world was expanding. About that same time, as soon as I got to Greenville, South Carolina, I went on my first ever mission trip to the country of Jamaica, and Rastafari was everywhere, and my mind was blown, and I loved it. I saw people that were different from me on so many levels, and my mind started to open up. And I loved it so much that I asked the next summer if I could go to South Africa, Durban, South Africa, 22-hour flight. And I lived in South Africa for the entire summer, and my mind was blown away at how big the world is and how different people are, and yet how awesome it was. And I loved that so much that the next summer, now we're looking at 2002, I, I, I wanted to go even further, and I literally asked the mission board to let let me go to the hardest place they could think of that we were allowed to go to, and they signed me up to go to Yemen. And just a few minutes before our trip, just a few months before our trip to Yemen, there was a, a, a bombing and a murder, and they said, you're not going to be allowed to go to Yemen. And so they changed us over to Ethiopia. In 2002, Ethiopia was the poorest country in the world, and I got to go there for three weeks, and it was unbelievable. And we hiked through the mountains. And we met people that live off of no money, none. It opened my eyes. It shaped me. Upon graduating there, it was just a few months later. I went there in 2002. I graduated college in the winter of 2002. And it was just a few months later that I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I needed a church to go to, and there's a lot of them in Louisville, isn't there? The first church I ever went to in the state of Kentucky was First Baptist Church of Fairdale. 
I was single, was praying like crazy to find a wife, didn't know what having kids was about. For the last 15 years, I've lived here and have five children and a wife. I didn't name any names just then, did I? I just named places. And the places have shaped me. They've shaped my story. I know the difference between Middletown, Portland, and Fairdale. I know the difference between Charlotte, North Carolina, and Louisville, Kentucky. I know the similarities of all the people there and all the places, but those places have shaped me. In the book of Philemon, you've got Paul, who was saved on the road to Damascus, extremely educated, a follower of Jesus now, preaches that Jesus saves people, forgives sin, and changes life. Jesus rewrites stories. Jesus takes ugly stories like a murderer like Paul, an angry person like Paul, and rewrites it into somebody who is filled with love and gentleness, and he changes stories. He ends up in prison, now ends up in Rome in prison. And he's writing letters to a people in Colossae because he knows them and loves them. But even they there, while Paul's got his own story filled with people and places, now he's writing to these people have their own story filled with people and places like Philemon and Onesimus and the drama that they're dealing with and the sin that's in the midst of them and how the church and the family are being affected by that. And all of that you see in the places. What about you? What places have you been to? And how's that affecting you? You ever heard that phrase that says, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy? You've heard that before, something like that, right? You can spin that however you want to, right? You can take the boy out of the city, but can't take the city out of the boy. You can spin that however you want to. And what that's meaning is, is that cultures of places and influence of, uh, of places have impact upon us. But I want to ask you here today, by the power of God and your devotion to him and understanding your story in light of God's story, is God in your story in regard to the places? Is he shaping you? Is there more Fairdale in you than there ought to be? And I'm okay with being Fairdale through and through. Is there more Fairdale in you than it ought to be? Let's just think about all the things that, let's just go beyond Fairdale for, for you know, not to stone me. Uh, let, let's just go beyond Fairdale to South Louisville. And, and I'm not going to name any, but if there are any negative characteristics of, of South Louisville, right? Has that gotten the best of you? If there are any sinful characteristics in, in South Louisville, has it gotten the best of us? I'll never forget, I was playing in a church league basketball game of all places. If you really want to see how messed up church people are, watch some church league sports. I hope it's become your common refrain as a church person to not talk about how good you are or how right you are or how you've got everything figured out because that's a bunch of baloney that everybody knows isn't true. But I hope it's in your conversation now to say, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not the standard at all. Uh, I've got my own issues. I need forgiveness. Please forgive me. Have understanding. Be patient with me. I hope that's how you talk more than them, 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 like that, because it, it is ugly. But I remember playing in a church basketball game years ago. It wasn't recent, so all y'all have been playing recently or watching recently. It wasn't recent. It was a long time ago, but it was here. 
One of my first years, I had on a shirt that said First Baptist Fairdale, and, and would you know it, something bad happened, maybe some, some words, some bad words, maybe some uh, fighting, pushing, some attitude, and all that came out. And somebody in the crowd, who ever thought there even were crowds at church league basketball games? Somebody in the crowd yelled out, that's Fairdale for you. And I was so, I was so hurt. I want to be Fairdale through and through. If they're selling a Fairdale shirt somewhere, I want to buy it. I've honestly probably got 50. But I don't want to be Fairdale more than I want to be Jesus. And so in all the ways that Louisville or Kentucky or Fairdale or South Louisville can impact your soul and influence you for the good, you can take the boy out of it, but don't take it out of you. Amen. But you're a story that God is writing. And God is working in you. And may you understand that the places that are in your life are huge influencers. We are are clay on a wheel that the Bible says we're the clay and God is the potter. And he is literally shaping us. And the way he does that is through people and it's also through places. But hear me today, for as much as you may want the places to shape your life and as much as they are shaping your life, do not let it shape you more than Jesus is shaping you. God is a story writer. He's a story rewriter. He is a life changer. And you want to be the person that says, my story is about God. My story's not about me, and I'm trying to fit God into it somewhere. My story's about God. Colossae, Rome, prison, places. So there's people, and there's places, and then thirdly, there are pains. And y'all don't even really need me to preach this one, right? I think we're all here today with some pains. I was throwing ball with the kids the other day in the front yard. You know, it's been so rainy and wet for the most part over these past couple days that anytime the the rain just stops, we just get out in the yard and throw ball and just throw in a catching like this and it was good and somebody made a real bad throw all of a sudden. I just did what your natural reaction is was to (coughs) do that. Oh, Oh, I hurt my back, and I hurt my groin. I hurt like three body parts. I'm not kidding. It was, I was thinking I'm too old to do that. But I'm not even talking about physical pains like that. I'm talking about physical pains, but much deeper, some emotional pains. I had a lady this morning that y'all don't know text me saying, my husband just died last month. My son-in-law is about to die this week. I had to put my dog down yesterday. Tell me why God's doing all this to me. Y'all, life is full of pains. If we could let everybody in here speak up, you know there are a lot of them. Life hurts. In the book of Philemon, 
You've got a man in prison writing to people he loves. That's one of the neat things about Paul's perspective is that he says to our beloved fellow worker, our sister, our fellow soldier, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He, he goes on and on. He ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. He says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. Paul loves these people, but the, the obvious truth is he's not able to say that with his arm around their neck. Because he's in prison. There's some people right now that you love so much, and for whatever reason, you're not able to tell them that. Life is full of pains. Even bigger than that in the book of Philemon is you've got this man who clearly on many levels is a godly man and a leader, Philemon, who has Onesimus that has stolen from him and run away. And in the listen to me, in, in a situation where there is sin, there is an offending party and an offended party, man, there are insecurities and thoughts all the way around, right? Philemon has to be thinking, what all have I done to this man to cause him to do that to me? Was it my fault? Was it something I did? And Onesimus has to be thinking, man, I can never go back there. He's going to kill me. He's going he's to hate me. I'll never be able to pay him back. And that's just the surface level of all the emotions. What about everybody else and what they're thinking? What, what about that? Have you ever been to something before? and then you haven't been to before and you're like, how am I ever going to go back? You ever not talk to somebody in a while and thought, man, I can't go back there. It's going to be awkward, right? And we could go on and on and on with the pains in life. And I want you to know that this most powerful story of the book of Philemon is filled with pains and God's right there in the midst of it. And God is right there in the midst of it. And God is able to take those pains give understanding to some of them, not fix some of them, give healing to some of them, fix some of them. That's what life's like. If you're here today with pains in your life, I want you to know that in many of those, God will heal them and God will fix them if you will look to him. He will. But I also want you to know that some of those he won't. Some of those may be beyond fixing for whatever reason. But I want you to know that God teaches us, listen to me, that in the ones that he's not going to fix in his great plan, in the ones that he's not going to fix, he has promised you that he will be with you through all the pain. Y'all, this is the honest teaching of the Bible that you're going to have to ask if you believe it or not. That when life is painful... And it doesn't get fixed. Is God with you enough to push you through it? And there's no prettier way to say it. Sometimes life is painful, and we just have to say, God is with me. I know He knows. I don't know. I know He knows. And God will take care of me. Sometimes He'll fix it, and He will bring healing. We've seen that happen so many times. This book of Philemon teaches us that in the midst of the pains, God is there, he's working, he's got a plan in it, he's going to help them. The pains are part of what's shaping this story. The people are shaping the story, the places are shaping the story, the pains are shaping the story, but then lastly, the providence of God is what's ultimately shaping the story. 
For the Bible teaches us that it is God who has appointed us in times and places. It's God who has made Paul and Philemon and Onesimus and Colossae and Rome in prison. It's God who is working in the midst of this. It's God even working in the midst of the pains. And you've got to be, re- care- got to be very careful with that. For God is not the author of evil, but God is the one working in the midst of the evil. If you look at verse 15, look at verse 15. And Paul understands providence really well. It's the sovereignty of God being seen in every little thing that's happening. That's what providence is. And in verse 15 it says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever as a beloved brother. And so Paul mentions to Philemon, writes it in the letter to Philemon, that perhaps God was working in the lying, in the stealing, in the running away, in the me being in prison, in him meeting me in prison, and how he saved him through that, and now I'm sending him back to you. Perhaps it is in all of that pain that God knows how to heal and bring something more glorious. That's the providence of God. In the providence of God, I went to Jamaica, next summer South Africa, next summer Ethiopia, and I was certain that I was going to be a missionary living overseas. And in 2003, when First Baptist Church Fairdale hired me, sitting down there in the very first classroom as a 23-year-old when they hired me, they said, can you commit to us two years? You know you want to be a missionary. And I said, oh, God. I don't want to be here two years, God. I want to go to school, and I want to be a missionary. And I don't know the answer to that or why. I just have to trust the providence of God. I'm not saying I don't want to be in Fairdale. I'm saying at 2003, I wanted to be a missionary. Even still, I want to be a missionary, but God has kept me here. This is what providence is. That in the midst of every single thing that's happening to us, I had somebody tell me this morning that it's already been a horrible day for them. Today has already been a horrible day for them. In a very real way, God has you right there to say in the midst of horrible days, do you trust him? And the book of Philemon is teaching us that in everything, God is writing the story. And folks, I'm not exactly sure where you are in that story. I know your story is still being written, isn't it? I know that as a, as a parent with, with little children, I'm always thinking about how their story is being written and how I, how I react to some drama in our home maybe influences their story, right? And the things I celebrate influences their story, right? And my fa- failures shape their story, right? And, and I think about that all the time, but the honest truth is that all of our stories are still being written by the people that are in our lives and the places that are in our lives and the pains that are in our lives, but most importantly, by the providence of God that is in our lives. And I want to ask you with all sincerity here today, have you committed yourself and submitted submitted yourself to God being the foundation of your story? Have you? Are you still in, in, in a weird kind of confident, lacking confidence way, thinking that you're writing your story, although there are countless variables that you can't control. Is God in the midst of your story? 
And one thing that happens when you get around young people is you learn a lot of little stories. Children's stories, if you will. I know the story of Cinderella, and I know the story of Beauty and the Beast, and I know the story of Frozen with Anna and Elsa. And we could go on and on with all the stories that we know, but you know one that I like that I was reminded of this past week when I was over at Fairdale Elementary School for something called All Pro Dad? They reminded us there this story about the three little pigs. You know that one? There were three little pigs, and a bad wolf came. He wanted to eat those pigs. And all three pigs scattered and built them a house of shelter. They didn't want to be eaten by the, pit, by, the, by the wolf. And they all three scattered and started building a house for protection and for shelter. And one went and built a house out of straw. A straw house for safety. The other went and found some sticks, stronger than straw, and built a house of sticks for safety. And another one ran and found bricks and built him a brick house for safety. And the big bad wolf came. And the pig that was hiding inside of the hay straw house, the straw house didn't protect him. The pig that was hiding in the stick house, it didn't protect him. They all ended up in the other pig's house, made out of bricks. And when the big bad wolf came to that piggy's house, he couldn't break down the strong house. Cool story, isn't it? You know what the foundation was of that house? Rock solid bricks that could protect. There's only one foundation to the story of your life. And it is that God loves you. And even though you sin against him, he still loves you. And he sent his son Jesus down the cross because of your sins, for your sins. And if you will believe in him, he will forgive you of all your sins that you've ever done, that you're doing now, and that you ever will do. In Christ, you are safe, you are forgiven, your story has meaning and purpose. The book of Philemon is going to get us to look at the story of our lives, the people, the places, the pains, and the providence. And may you all the way through it be saying, Oh God, I trust you. May God be your foundation in your story. And may the book of Philemon help us to understand it more and more and more. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that we can get to the book of Philemon and we can start looking at so many good and helpful subjects. God, thank you that everybody loves a story. But help us, God, to look at ours. Father, we pray that we would acknowledge you as the one writing our story, that you would be our foundation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.